0: Ditch Diggers, number 102.
1: Ditch Diggers appear and ain't no wannabes here With some not-so-nice advice for your writing career To be clear, no punches will be pulled But the punch may be spiked How they like before they get on the mic To my left, we got the mighty Mer Lafferty And if I piss her off, believe me, she'll come after me And her co-host Matt Evan Wallace on the right Yes, she may be half as hype as she could take him in a fight So settle in, folks Buddha. Time to meddle in a way to make you write or shut up. It's hard work, but the perk is that it's fun and exciting. Facebook will still be there when you're done writing. Ditch diggers.
0: Ditch diggers Coming to you live from the hermetically sealed Hugo Award storage chamber. It is the Ditch Diggers with Merle Lafferty and Matt Wallace. Hey, Matt, how are you?
1: I'm good, Mur. I mean, relatively. Sure. So, you always have to qualify that these days. Yeah, I know. I feel like if you tell someone, I'm great, you know, everything's, everything's peachy. Then you time to think about it for a minute. You're like, does that make me an asshole? Yeah. If I'm feeling, if I'm actually feeling okay, is that a bad thing? Does that reflect poorly on me?
0: Yeah, posted on the, she posted on Reddit, am I the asshole? I had a good day. Am I the asshole? <laughs> I
1: had a good day during the apocalypse. Am I the asshole? No, we're all allowed to have good days and feel good. and We should be shooting for that. It should be a goal. Yeah. You know, survival is the baseline, but I think we should not lose sight of actually enjoying and living our lives. Yeah. But that's just a personal opinion. You know, I'm not telling you what to do.
0: Sure. I'm having a lot of fun actually getting into Twitch. And live streaming, both I Should Be Writing and uh, just some gaming that I'm doing. And it's feeling new and exciting like podcasting did. So that is actually a new thing that is, you know, it's it's interesting. It's not just my daily slog that I've been doing inside my house for four months. More than <laughs> that now. But... uh that's kinda of what's new with me. I'm just uh doing more streaming stuff. I'm uh, my daughter's doing the art for it. And I need to go back to what your wife taught me about makeup because boy, it's like I look in the mirror and I don't look forty seven. I look in the camera, good God.
1: Yeah, cameras can be unforgiving on all yeah. of those. So I do when I do my YouTube stuff I think the same thing. I'm sure I'm sure there's some tips that Nikki can give you on that, but it's cool that you're doing new stuff, and just proves that you can you can discover new things in the house four months into quarantine, which is yeah. a nice. Bit. and and it's exciting that you're doing the Twitch thing. It was where I was tweeting about it just yesterday. Everybody's was really excited. Marguerite Kenner was like, "I'm on Twitch with Murray talking about baking or whatever it was." Mm-hmm. Right now, it was very exciting. All all very exciting stuff. And you're crowdcasting.
0: Yeah, yeah. You,
1: you're using all the platforms, Murrah. I
0: am. I'm I'm using Crowdcast. Uh... Um I know there's a the, the sunk cost fallacy concept but I did pay a lot to have a year of crowdcast and I paid for it because I can specifically target our Patreon supporters and um, which is what I started doing in August it's it's Patreon only and I don't know if I'm going to k- subscribe again but at least it's um yeah I'm I'm I I think Twitch is a little easier if I screw up something on Twitch I can stop recording and pick it right back up again while Crowdcast is not that easy. But um
1: Cause you're live.
0: No, they're both live. But Crowdcast yes. is like you set you have to set up an event that people sign up for or follow the link directly to but it's not like just picking up the phone and calling somebody which is kind of what twitch feels like you just push a button and suddenly you're live and talking crowd is you create the event because I think they they're really marketing towards people who want to do like webinars and stuff yeah and but it's like I screwed up my camera um and I didn't know quite how to do it so I figured if I just restarted everything it'd be okay but suddenly the event was over Alice. and I had to make a new event or say redo this event which killed everything I'd recorded so far so it's, there's only half a episode in the feed I mean it's like it 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 it's needlessly complex I think but uh anyway I'm using both platforms seeing what the uh, Patreon only option will get us uh, would like to have you would like to do another uh sort of crowdcast stitch diggers with you we did your book launch on Crowdcast, so it might be fun to do on ditch diggers
1: we did it worked out it worked out so well i actually I, i've done a couple of crowdcasts since then for other stuff so no, I'm all about it i think I think it is a good it, like you said it's not you know it's not a uh, a spur of the moment kind of platform it's a, it's more of a planned event kind of thing with mm-hmm. the same time event but I feel like that definitely has its place too I just I think it's good that you're out there on the forefront of technology, Murr. like you're on the cutting edge testing out all these things
0: I don't think I'm on the cutting edge Twitch is pretty big
1: No, it's good though it makes it seem like we're staying current and up to date we're doing our jobs Oh, yeah as ditch diggers, you know we're like we can speak authoritatively on all these fancy platforms.
0: I can tell authors how to use Twitch to their advantage. I'm still not sure how that is, but I've actually been thinking about doing live write-ins where just people, I'm on the camera writing. And if people want to join me, that's cool. If people want to watch me, that's creepy, but you know, you do you.
1: (laughs) I've been thinking about. <laughs> it does kind of go to a weird place, I guess. But no, I've been thinking about that for a while and wondering what, why, or if, like, why people didn't do that, or if they do that, and if not, why? Because it just seemed, you know, like if you can. So I know it's not as interesting as playing Call of Duty or whatever the hell it is, but like, I think to some people it is, uh, you know. And I, and I don't understand why, like, that couldn't be a thing, you know, like why, like you just said, like live write-ins. People do, you know, you do writing sprints together online. Like on mm-hmm. Twitter, you'll be like, not you specifically, but like people do that, including you. So I don't know why they can't, that can't be it just be a more direct and more interactive and more immersive way to do something like that.
0: So, All right. I'll, I'll try to set that up.
1: To, yeah. I just want authors to be able to make that sweet, sweet Twitch money. You know?
0: I'm very close to becoming affiliate, which is like the lowest level that I think you're able to make money.
1: That's really cool. What's the highest level? Partner. Oh, okay. I, I think
0: there so. are only two levels, but um, <laughs> it, you you do have well. There's there's the level of just nobody. It's like you're just doing Twitch, but you have to reach certain uh, achievements to be does affiliate.
1: Twitch, does Twitch tell you that they're like you're yeah. fucking nobody right now, Mer?
0: What like uh, Delta Airlines and the basic level? It's like levels one, two, three, but there's also basic. <laughs>
1: I mean, I feel like nobody is worse than basic, or maybe yeah. it's not. Maybe maybe basic is like the more polite way of saying nobody. And you almost yeah, be more honest with it people. was
0: actually, I was confused because they hadn't called basic yet, and I was basic. And I just went up and I'm like, have you called basic yet? Yeah, she's like, yeah, we just said like level three and everybody else because we don't like saying basic because it's rude. I'm like, but you put it on my ticket and you <laughs> higher ups made the concept of the basic level
1: they literally branded you basic
0: yeah and then the the woman calling the numbers to load the plane couldn't say it i don't think i think it was like a, a like it sounded like more of a personal or like a our little crew of people here at raleigh durham don't like to say basic or whatever, but I'm getting off topic. I'm sorry. No, I uh, find
1: this off. I think that's really like a metaphor for so much of our society (laughs) right there. No kidding.
0: Um, But yeah, if... It
1: perfectly encapsulates that, you know. You have to... So if you fly Southwest, did they just flat out call you a basic bitch? Is that like... Because I can see Southwest doing that and not caring. I
0: thought Southwest was actually better at loading people.
1: I mean, in the way that like... Herders doing cattle into cattle cars are better at it. Yeah. They're so all
0: that. putting cattle in cattle cars. That that's exactly what loading an airplane is. But
1: oh, yeah, but that's not a good thing, Mr. No, not, it's not. not.
0: I'm just saying good. Southwest is no different.
1: I guess. I you know, I think your experience differs when you become a fat person flying than that's when you're fair. Not a fat person. That's flying. fair. Yeah. So I I probably just have had different experiences with them than yeah, people yeah. who we're not. My, as my... Large as, uh,
0: my experience is not universal, um, but yeah, with with Twitch, you have to you have to basically prove that you're consistent and relatively entertaining, and they judge that by you have to stream seven separate days in a thirty day period, you have to stream eight hours in that thirty day period, and then you need followers and like fifty followers and an average of three people per stream I think it's really low and right. since I'm lucky enough to already have an online presence with people who you know will follow me from podcast to twitch I have like the numbers were easy it's the hours and the uh, other stuff because I'm I'm trying to to make everything every stream is better than the last because I'm always screwing one thing up or I haven't gotten there yet like yesterday I was trying to do I should be writing but I I had my green screen, but I hadn't fixed everything to where it was working, so you could see the, the room on either side of the green screen. So I just didn't right. turn on the chroma key because that would just be more sad or sadder, as some people say. So it was just me with a green screen behind me and the room on either side, it just, but last night when I streamed How to Full Boyfriend where I went off and dated pigeons, um, I got the green screen working.
1: It was a really interesting sentence that mm-hmm. you just
0: spoke. Um, it's a dating <laughs> it video game. It's a dating video game from 2011, I think, where I think somebody tried to make a joke, but it's actually, I mean, it's a—it's just like any other Japanese dating game. It's, it's your, you play a, a teenage girl and you have a variety of suitors, only you play a teenage human girl who's decided to go to a, Uh, very prestigious high school in Japan that is the best high school for birds. And there's so many unanswered questions, like, where are all the other humans? Why do I live in a cave? It doesn't even say much. It's like, oh, I went home, and then suddenly you're looking from, like, from the inside of a cave out onto nature. It's like, why am I living in a cave? It's really weird. So I am uh, dating... Birds and I believe once you've dated all the birds, um then the game gets really weird. So I don't know very much after that, but I'm eager to find out.
1: I mean it was two thousand eleven, Murr. That's what we all did. We lived in caves and we dated birds. It was just that time and that place. Yes. You, know, you go to Berkeley, you're studying liberal arts, it's just what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah uh and so anyway i dated birds like it just that's very that was a very amusing thing for me uh well i hope you're winning the game how do you win the game
0: you don't really win win. i i think these kinds of games you win by getting the ending of the story that you want uh like a lot of times there's going to be a happy ending sometimes there's an ending where you're dead um and I'm just saying overall, I think-
1: Did the pigeon kill you or- Well, there,
0: there, there is a really creepy doctor bird that uh, basically when you go in there to find, you're looking for your best friend, but you go into the doctor's uh, in the, the, apparently they don't have a nurse's doctor office, they have a doctor's office in the high school. And you're looking around there and the doctor comes in and basically says, offers you drugs. You know, hints that, that all the drugs you're looking at that that you can have some and he's super creepy.
1: So there's a creepy drug dealing Dr. Bird yep. in the bird dating game where you live in a cave.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. All right. No, I think, you know, I think we've I think that's perfectly clear. And I don't really think we need to delve any deeper into it than that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> please stop talking about birds, Murr, please.
1: I, dude, I asked the question. <laughs> That's something I have to live with yes. for my life. But anyway, Mur, we're not here to talk about bird dating simulators and uh, whatever nonsense we were talking about before we were talking about bird dating simulators. No, the Twitch and Crowdcast stuff was really good. I thought that's actually pertinent to what we do here, so we're sort of staying on topic. For yeah. us, I think we're doing spectacularly well so far. I,
0: I I do want to ask one question. You um. And I, and I feel awful saying this because I should already know since you're one of my best friends, but are you still doing your YouTube thing or are you taking no, a break because of all the busyness?
1: I I was, um, like, I, I started uploading again at the beginning of the year and then the year happened. Yeah. That just kind of got in the way of everything. It was just really, it wasn't even a time thing. Like I act like it's a time thing and that's part of it. It's not like I'm not extraordinarily busy, but a lot of it was just, I just didn't feel like being on camera. It was really mm-hmm. hard. But no, I'm starting uploading again. I, you know, I obviously uploaded stuff leading up to the release of Savage Legion a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. My, my epic fantasy debut. If you miss, if you if you somehow missed that, I don't yeah. know how you could the show to miss that because we talk about it every episode. But uh, yeah, no. So I'm over on my channel Angry Writer, and I'm trying to do some more stuff. I'm trying to get back to doing. Uh, what are you working on, which was my weekly series where I just basically ask everybody what they're working on and mm-hmm. people can ask me questions and, you know, people seem to enjoy that. So I'm trying to get back to all that. It's a process, Merck. But yes, it's the, the YouTube is still a thing that is happening theoretically. Okay. O- over time, like the Grand Canyon, it forms very slowly.
0: You do realize you're not going to live as long as the Grand Canyon, right? I mean, I don't want to bring it, bring up your mortality, especially so close to your birthday, but... <laughs> it's there. I just want you to know
1: that you're going to die never yeah. having dated a pigeon. But you're going to die. you and can live- date a
0: pigeon, dude. I believe in you.
1: Okay, but uh, no, uh, yeah. I, I you don't know. Science is advancing every day. By in the ne- in the next 10 20 years where we could all live as long as the Grand Can maybe. The Grand Canyon alive it's not the I love what we're talking that's a story you would write like the Grand Canyon's alive and you go get yeah. advice from it and maybe date it I don't know maybe but, date um, it. but no I uh, yeah so now I'm thinking about my own death and I appreciate that you're welcome we can move on uh, <laughs> it's so terrible. So, speaking about being aware of your own mortality uh, <laughs> Hey, did everybody catch the Hugo Awards?
0: Oh, my God.
1: We have to touch on this briefly, even though you've talked about it in other in other venues. I length. have talked
0: about it in other venues at length. it's been yeah. It, I, I have feelings, Matt. I have strong, strong feelings.
1: Everybody does and everybody should that's the thing. It's like it's, it should evoke a strong reaction and it should be and it should be a call to action at the end of the day. is the point that I will ultimately make. But why don't you since you have talked about it and I should be writing another book do you want to like summarize? I will do my best.
0: Okay. I tried to summarize yesterday and I ended up ranting for about 20 minutes, but I have you here to hold me back. So, uh, the Hugo Awards were Friday night, if you're uh, Europe, America, the, that area, or Saturday morning for uh, Asia and New Zealand. Also,
1: as we're recording this, which is the following Tuesday. After yes. Or Wednesday, rather.
0: <laughs> because, <laughs> because it was uh, a virtual con. They had to do it virtually. It was hosted live by by George R. R. Martin, with also uh, recorded bits of him as he's reading out the nominees. So it's like, he'll he'll say something, and then it'll cut to something he recorded a days, like weeks ago, I don't know. And he's like, oh, so best fan cast, blah, 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 blah. And then it cuts back to him for the live reveal of who won. Now that sounds fine, only... It wasn't. He turned it into The George Show, where he was uh, uh, telling very long anecdotes about 1973. Something about 1973. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I was born in 1973, yeah. and I just turned 47. So you think, maybe, these these are really old stories. Now, my husband Jim is very wise, as you've said before, and he had a theory, which is, oh, Martin has also said that I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. So people did not appreciate long anecdotes about Martin and Campbell and pointing out that, okay, yeah, he did mention that N.K. Jemison was the first person to win three Hugo, three best novel Hugos in a row. But did you know? Of course, I'm going to, I don't know, one of the old dead guys won three Hugos <laughs> over nine years. Right. Which is so much more impressive.
1: Did you know that a white man did it better? Yeah. The George R. R. Martin story.
0: Exactly. And so he... uh, And then, you know, when he's reading off... Again, pre-recorded. He's reading off the names and he botches a lot of them. He... And you could tell he, like, he's reading and then he stops, you know, as if he ran into a word he's never, ever read before. Not that he's read it over and thinks... Okay, I've tried this a couple times. I'll give it a go. No, he just he just babbles and doesn't do another take. Nobody tells him he gets it wrong and while there were some white people who were mispronounced, including myself he he botched <laughs> mostly
1: I didn't even know that really
0: yeah Muir. He called you Muir. He called me Muir. About
1: that one. Yep. Oh my God, that's amazing. It's horrible, but it's amazing as well. God damn Georgia. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not laughing. No, I know. I'm not offended. How do you fuck that up? Like it's there's no I in it.
0: Yeah. But he, uh, but he messed up a lot of black and brown people's names he
1: um he called, called Fire Magazine Fia. He
0: called Fire Magazine Fia. Which
1: was one of my least favorites, like. Yes. Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. But uh and, and so a lot of people were angry about that. And then on top of it it's not even it wasn't a major aggression because it was him trying to be subtle, but the so if you're if you're completely under a rock or living in a cave and dating pigeons, you'll you may not know that last year the winner of the Campbell Award accepted the award by saying, you know what, John Campbell was a fucking racist and a sexist, and then like basically okay. I was cheering inside, and I don't and Texas and and I don't remember all the details of her speech, um, but she actually brought people's... People are like, okay, she's right. And they actually renamed the award, which was great. They Uh renamed the award the Astounding Award. And then this year she won a Hugo for that speech.
1: Yeah, for Best Related Work, which is just an amazing cycle of events.
0: And that's uh, Jeanette Ng, I think, is how it's pronounced. But I'm saying that out loud and apologizing in advance if I get it wrong. So, yeah. Um... It's it's she was amazing and, but when he was doing his anecdotes, he brought up Campbell a lot, and then Silverberg got on, and started Silverberging, and, and then why the
1: fuck was Robert Silverberg even there? That's uh, my question. Like
0: tradition, I after, think. After
1: you call the winner of the best Hugh Award for best novel a uh, savage, like don't you get disinvited? I don't think sure he called her a
0: savage. He called her vulgar.
1: A oh, vulgar. Yeah. It was something terrible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The old friend of Harlan Ellison points at a black woman and her eloquent but angry victory speech and calls her vulgar. Anyway, yeah. so Silverberg's on there babbling and he did. He mentions that Campbell was the great, the best of us all. So it's like, <laughs> th- not only did it go on and on and on and George Martin put his own Figures, like figures people have made of him in the foreground of all the, or the background, they were all over the place uh, of the recorded bits. So he's got his ego on display. He's talking about stories that we're not here to hear. He's mispronouncing everybody's name and he's talking about Campbell a lot. And he didn't even mention that, you know, he mentioned why it was called the Campbell Award. And then announced the nominees for the Astounding Award, not even linking them, not even bringing up the fact that Campbell has some problematic things. It was brought up, it was discussed, and they decided to change the name of the award.
1: Yeah, he did the whole history of the award except for the last, literally just the last year of it. Kind of just left out that last little bit. Which was
0: monumental. Yeah. So, it, it was like, people are pissed. And that is my sum up. I wanted to be shorter. The, the, the elevator pitch is, if you're still listening, uh, Martin made it the Martin show when it was really about the nominees and the nominees did not feel that at all, that that the show was about them.
1: Yeah. The one thing I would add to that, that uh, you know, on top of everything covered there and it was covered there, but I just want to make it very clear to me. It just felt very passive aggressively specifically aimed towards let me, uh, you know, re-adjudicate all the really problematic uh, old white men who've been called out in the last few years. Like, it yeah. just felt very specifically like, I'm going to praise Campbell. I'm going to praise Harlan Ellison. I'm going to bring up Isaac Asimov and praise him. Like, I'm going to bring up literally all these people that have been, that have been whose, whose legacies, as such, have been tainted by their own shitty behavior and by people finally talking about it openly. So it just felt very much to me, like, and it, and it felt malicious to me. I don't know that yeah. it was malicious, but it really felt malicious. It felt like, I've got the mic, and I'm sick of you young whippersnappers, you know, deriding all these uh, venerable old men in science fiction and fantasy, so I'm going to praise them and that that was like one of the biggest in, in addition to just disrespecting so many of the nominees by butchering their names and everything else he did yeah that was just that just felt like the general tone of the night as much as making his own ego and his own legacy and himself centering that i really felt like he was intentionally centering all these old pieces of shit that we mm-hmm. just, yeah have called out so there that that was just one of the things but one thing
0: but but George's uh, wonderful apologies are basically like, well, a lot of people have told me it was funny. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, one, th- uh, there's always going to, th- this is your one black friend, George. This is not, this is not a good argument. But, you know, uh, last night Jim pointed out to me that other people thought the stories were funny because he's told them in a setting in which people show up to hear the George R. R. Martin stories, coffee clutches, interviews, stuff like that where we are not here for the George Martin show. We were here to see the Hugos given out. And the audience was not there for him. They were watching him, whether they liked it or not. And so these little details is something he just didn't take into account. If he can charm an entire table of coffee clutch uh, people with the stories about Campbell and falling into pools and just leaving out all the racism and sexism, um, then clearly... The people watching all around the world, waiting to hear who wins one of the biggest awards in science fi- science fiction, they'll want to hear it too.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm sure that that mentality factors in there a great deal. Um, and you know, that's part of and part of the problem with that is how much of the this community and industry in this field elevate him and continue to elevate him mm-hmm. by doing shit like having him host the entire fucking Hugo Award ceremony. Yeah, so. There is that as well. But none of these things are okay and should be allowed to happen again is, is the bullet point at the end of all that. <clears throat> and,
0: yeah, and, I've you know, been annoyed at, at, at the idea of... And, and I'm guilty of this, too. Just the fact that people are so angry about this, we're not talking about the winners. Yeah, that's... And that is and a that's, damn that's shame.
1: A, yeah, that ultimately is kind of what I wanted to get to. Like, everybody you know, was threading angrily on Twitter and again rightfully so. And and at this point I'm not even I'm not speaking to people who are part of like the affected groups who suffered those microaggressions and suffered and, yeah. you know, the marginalization marginalization of this industry. But like just speaking as a large cis white guy, you know, able bodied myself, like my thing was I didn't want to do another angry thread and make it all about like first of all my anger and centering myself and then just centering George R. R. Martin, Silverberg, and, you know, them again, by just talking about them, I felt like the best use of our time is to, like, boost the voices of the affected, boost the voices of the winners from the Hugo and how they feel, and then also just do practical things. Like, I was I, – I'm a really big fan of Faya magazine, mm-hmm. like, I, and I have been, and they've been really cool to me on top of that. So, like, what I did – that Hugo night after he butchered their fucking name and ruined their moment was like, I gave out a bunch of subscriptions to Mm -hmm. five magazine for a year. You know, like that's, that's just a small thing. I felt like I could do that was productive rather than railing endlessly with my anger on, on Twitter.
0: Yeah. And then I copied you. Yeah, you did. You
1: did copy me. That's good. That made me, I was really happy about that. A lot of people did, but that's just like, I feel like, be mad, but again, especially speaking to people like me, be mad, but also don't center yourself in your anger, and don't just center the people you're mad at, because that's completely counterproductive, try to find productive ways to move things forward and change things, and for me, that's like, the more people who are reading markets like FIA, and the bigger we make them, like, the bigger they become part of this conversation, and the less the George R. R. Martins of the world become part of the conversation, Mm -hmm. so... That's just my my two cents on the whole thing, you know. Starting with acknowledging that it was just fucking horrible and shouldn't happen again. That's that's where I went afterwards. Yeah, you know. But you know, change it's it's a slow process. I mean, the, one of the the most bananas thing about the award show to me, just beyond how unacceptable that whole part of it was and how it should have been allowed to happen, is just that there were basically two award shows going on. There was George R. Martin's award show. And then there was the award show that the winners were at, which was a completely different and frankly amazing award show. Yeah. Like if you just somebody did that, they put a, just a cut of the acceptance speeches on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Like you go watch them. And that was fantastic. Everybody was great. It was an amazing field of winners giving amazing speeches, talking about important things. And that part of the awards was fantastic. It's the Hugos that we want to see, it's just the fact that it was butted up against this alternate reality Hugos where it's still 1973 and that part we need to like not do anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah. So these were, these were things that happened, but the next, uh, what is the Discon that's hosting the next WorldCon?
0: Yes. We'll hope it's, we hope it's at DC and not on the internet or not just on the internet again.
1: Uh, I mean, we'll see. I can't, you know, there's no, no way to speak to that. But point being, they, yeah. they made the announcement that, uh, the hosts for next year's Hugo's are going to be Malca Older and Cherie Renee Thomas, which is was a fantastic announcement. I yes. Thought that, I was so stunned and happy to hear that because is one of my favorite people. Just Yeah, I love Malca. Yeah.
0: And uh, so, I don't know Cherie, but I looked at her, at, at what she's done, and it looks amazing, and I really want to check out her stuff.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So that is, that was a good piece of news coming on the heels of that whole debacle, and I hope that this kind of continues in that vein And continues to be involved in the conversations The community is having And learn from them And just not repeat the mistakes of the past The yeah. very past Literally the past of like three fucking days ago We're bad yeah. at learning We're really bad at learning It I takes know. a long time
0: I know um, Also, ChiCon, uh, Chicago won the bid for um, Chicago won the bid for 2022 and right. they've already announced their Toastmasters. Have you heard that? No, I
1: did not hear this. Yes, really.
0: no. it is Charlie Jane Anders and Annalie Newitz. Also, them. two-time Hugo fancast winners, this year included. Uh, I've uh, known our them... Our opinions are
1: correct, right? That's the podcast. Yes, our opinions yes, are correct. Yeah, love both of them.
0: I have known them for many years. Uh, Annalie and I were on a panel together at DragonCon... It was a nighttime panel. I don't remember, good Lord, I have no memory of what it was. I know it was a, it was, you know, an adult-only after dark type thing. But we started getting, a guy started asking questions about balloon fetishes. And Annalie was trying to answer as best they could. And as the the panel went on, we realized this guy kept speaking up is like this guy's got a balloon fetish and he needs to talk to somebody about it
1: right and it
0: was very weird and for years after Anna Lee and i would just mention that balloon guy and i'm sure if you ask them right now they would they would mention that they remember because that's <laughs> it was it was a very weird bonding moment for us decades no, ago
1: that is something that sticks up. and but, look i'm not here to kink shame anybody like, no i'm not i'm not either there's... No, I didn't mean that you were, but I'm just... But my point is, like, there's a venue and there's a context to explore your balloon fetish, and that's maybe not
0: the one. No, I don't you think know? the guy was, like, trying to get off or anything. He was just... Oh, okay. we, we just, like, the topic. I don't remember what the panel was about. I wish I did for, for context, but when balloon fetishes came up, it, it, I was kind of startled because I was young and naive. But he kept asking <laughs> questions about it, and it was... It was just, just kind of weird.
1: Just a young, naive Mer who wasn't ready for the world of balloon fetishism. I was not. And now look at you! You're <laughs> the only leader, no, living I'm in a cave, dating pigeons, <laughs> abusing prescription pigeon drugs.
0: Yep, that's me.
1: How far you come, Mer? How far you come?
0: I got into a cave.
1: You got into a, yeah, you know. We're all just we're all just trying to find our own cave, Mer. We're all just trying to find our own pigeon dating cave that's beautiful Um,
0: man i do what i can
1: you know i'm just (laughs) here i'm figuring myself out too this is a process for me as well so yeah uh we were gonna we were going to so have we have we have we adequately covered what you wanted to cover in relation to the hugo awards i want to
0: i want to end on a high note um that for all the shitty parts of the night Um, some really amazing people won Hugos completely deservedly and if you are a nominee or a winner the show was about you and in in the future when they look at who won the Hugo in 2020 they're not gonna say this was the worst Hugo uh, awards ever and here's why and oh yeah uh uh crap what what? I can't remember the name of I can't remember the name of the novel winner. I know Arcady it was Arcady
1: Martin. Yeah, I
0: know Arcady Martin wrote it. I just can't remember the title of it because my brain just quit. Uh,
1: Memory called Empire. Memory
0: called Empire. Yes. For some reason, I kept I, uh Ten Thousand Doors of January" just lodged itself in my head and would not leave. Okay. I
1: hear that book's done that to a lot of people, so you're not alone. No, uh, it's, yeah. I, I share an agent with Arcady. So yes that was and it's a debut novel, and mm-hmm. Anne Lackey had like withdrawn. Her I novel heard with about three. that just so many amazing aspects of that award one that just made me happy I just yeah very, yeah,
0: uh, uh, what Matt's referring to is Anne Lucky was uh nominated, but she decided to uh refuse it because there were so many amazing debut novels that she felt. Needed attention. She wanted her
1: brand recognition taken away from that. Not that she wasn't proud of her book or that her book wasn't worthy, but she's just like, you know, I, I've gotten shine. I'll get more shine. <laughs> I like that she made that clear to her point. It's like, she was like, look, I'm not saying I'm never going to let myself be nominated for a Hugo Award again. Yeah. And that's totally fair. But she just felt like this year in particular she wanted to make room for other people and I just think that's such a beautiful thing yeah you know and I wish other people would follow that example sometimes that's just it was really cool and then a debut novel did win the award which makes it even even cooler to me, yes you know
0: but uh, no our... at it the
1: fact that it's Arcady, who's again a friend and I shared an agent with her so that it was really cool but yeah so no your your point but I'm sorry back to your point Mar, which is there's much more to celebrate and remember about the Hugo Awards than some old white men throwing tantrums
0: yes uh, Elise Matheson, I think, I always remember her as Lion, Elise, because we went to Viable Paradise together 14 years ago. And uh, she's been making jewelry and getting nominated for Hugo's for years. And actually, when her name came up, I looked at Jim and Fiona and I'm like, man, Elise has been nominated a lot. She really needs her year. And then she won. So I was, I was thrilled for her.
1: Yeah, that's too awesome.
0: And, and just so many amazing winners. It, was, it, it, it really was a great year for fiction and nonfiction. And uh, if, you, if you wonder what you should be reading right now, the Hugo Ballot is a very good guidepost. And that's an
1: amazing thing to say in and of itself, I think. That's really a, a, a really good commentary on the state of the awards. themselves. Yeah. When you look at the list, and that's actually a list that you're proud to show people and say, this is what you should be reading you know yeah. we're moving in the right direction we just got to smooth off some rough edges of how we're getting there and how we're presenting it yeah at least that's my optimistic take on the whole thing
0: yes. <laughs> and not, so not, now i not, can not, be not, done
1: not, so yeah <clears throat> so yeah those that's that's our that's the official ditch diggers hugo commentary
0: mm-hmm. i drank a lot of wine that stuff. night what? <laughs> I said I drink a lot of wine that night. That was one thing about the whole watching the Hugo's instead of being at them. I missed the whole dressing up and being fancy, but I got to drink wine and comment openly the whole time.
1: Yeah, no. Considering you usually, you know, you usually do your your running Hugo commentary. It's you usually have you can't you don't have those privileges and luxuries. Is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, I haven't done that in a couple of years. I think they found a replacement for me.
1: No one can replace you. Okay. <laughs> Someone, they can get someone to do what you do, but they can't
0: replace you. Thank you, dude. you What else are we talking about?
1: Um, we had another thing we were going to get into, but uh, with the way the clock's running and how much time we actually ended up spending on the Hugos, even though we didn't want to make the whole episode about the I'm Hugos. I'm really
0: sorry. It happened again. No, no.
1: It, I mean, dude, again, this happened three days ago. We have a show about being a freelance writer and in the, in the, in the industries we work in. Like, we, It needed to be talked about. Um... But yeah, so and also, I think it'd be a cool thing to do to put some to put some links to all the people, all the people from the award show that we're talking about in the show notes, and I will do that. Yeah, uh, especially venues like FIA, who again didn't win but are an amazing market. So they, uh,
0: it's it's gonna it, it's oh, gonna be, be their, their year time. one year. I I fully They're, believe that. T-
1: yeah, their time will come. I didn't I didn't mean that in the way of like I'm just saying like despite I'm not just saying I don't want to just highlight winners. I want to highlight all the amazing people who are not. No, here. I'm I'm with you. Yeah. So we'll do that. But anyway, it was something we needed to talk about. But we have a bunch of questions, and I think it would be good to get into that. Sure. Some of them may require lengthy answers. Do you want uh, to start
0: with the email question or go somewhere yeah. else?
1: Yeah. Hit the, hit the, hit the email question.
0: All right. Hit the email question. Where the hell is it? Here we go. Anonymous writes, uh, listen to both. I should be writing a Ditch stickers regularly and genuinely enjoy both. Uh, I have a question that I hope doesn't come across as an attack. I was considering picking up Matt Savage Legion and went to Amazon to check it out. I learned the book has three leads, all women. Is this a case of someone writing someone else's story? Matt's a big burly guy, so writing a story about women's experiences seems a little off for me, or am I overthinking it? Also mentioned that uh, Matt's got a book coming out about a young uh, Latina. Is Latina girl uh, 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 redundant? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, a young Latina as a uh mexican luchador that's a, probably also redundant i'll stop talking <laughs> anyway it no, it, it came familiar. up again yeah.
1: and and yeah unfamiliar kind of it's fine it's, sure it's cool well, well yeah the l- saying luchadora would be the most specific and accurate term okay. which implies mexican wrestling woman
0: oh okay so all those words were just wasted yeah yes it's fine a young luchadora
1: Yes. Yeah, so so we got, you nailed it. Two seconds. We got to figure it out.
0: <laughs> so, uh, the question is: uh, Are you telling somebody else's story? And they're asking with great respect and not accusing you of anything. But we have talked about this kind of thing. So
1: no, no. This is hey. Look, in, to the person who wrote this question, I absolutely appreciate it. You're not overthinking things. These are completely valid questions and important questions to ask. Especially in the case of Bump, which is my my middle grade novel coming out early next year, I assume I'll be talking about this a lot, and I'm I'm fine with that. You know, it's a, it's a it's a valid concern. Um, as so, starting with Savage Legion, yeah, all three of the main characters in Savage Legion, which is my epic fantasy debut novel, are women. Um, I when it comes to when it comes to that, if you're someone who believes that uh, male identifying authors uh, just shouldn't write women as main characters there's not a lot I can really say to that and and that I mean honestly like with considering all the male authors who have written uh female identifying characters in the past and how badly so many of them have done I can't blame anyone for having that perspective so
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know if that's your perspective that's the way you feel I can't I mean that just doesn't leave me any room to speak to it because I have I am a I am a male identifying author who has written a book where the main three characters are women. So if you just feel I shouldn't be doing that, that's perfectly, that's a perfectly valid take and your personal take and that's that's fine. Speaking to whether I'm telling someone else's story, I really do try to be aware that if I am writing someone, if I'm writing a character that is different from me, my goal is to include them in the story without taking the story of those people from from them. And. That's a very that can be a very fine and nuanced line, but I do think it is a very clear line. One I try to be aware of. Like, I'm not, I don't, I don't set out in Savage Legion to write about what it's like to be a woman in the world that we live in. You mm-hmm. know, I do. They, they, the characters are women, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to honestly represent what their reactions would be as women to the world that I've created, which I think is a different thing. And I try to do that honestly and authentically as I can, you know, and, and try to do as much research and base the characters on real women that I know and take into account uh, what women tell me about certain things. And, I, you know, I do like I, you know, I use I use Nikki a lot for that respect. I'm like, this is the scene I'm writing. You know, how do you as a woman feel about this? I try to do my research um, and I try to bring as much genuineness and authenticity and not repeat the mistakes of the past. Too is another thing not right. The shitty tropes of men writing women that have seen before so i don't think i'm telling someone else's story in that in that particular instance as as the question would imply but i mean again that's really up to to the reader to determine you know if you do the thing is and, and then I, like i kind of said it before but i'll just state it emphatically if you don't want to read a cis white guy writing epic fantasy about women I totally get that and that's fine, you know, but that, that is what I am and what I'm doing. So if it's just something that's not for you, just blanketly, no matter how well I do it, assuming I do it well at all, I totally get that and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But from my perspective, it's more, it's, it's always about inclusion rather than trying to hijack and tell someone else's stories. that's not mine to tell. And I am aware of the line there. I think, at least I try to be, and I may fuck that up and I'll, you know, if I do, and if I get called out for it, I will, I'll learn from it. You know, I'm always open to hearing that kind of criticism.
0: Do you have anything to add regarding Bump?
1: <clears throat> oh, no, absolutely. Bump is an, is a totally separate um, subject to me because that that story specifically is about uh, my family and to a certain extent about my own personal experiences. Um, again, I absolutely do identify as an able-bodied cis white guy. I would never try to, try to take any kind of, or claim any kind of, uh, you know Mexican or or Latino representation but the fact is I do come from a heavily integrated family of uh, Mexican immigrants, Mexican American and redneck white people like that's I have a really messy complicated background that folds all of that in there and I also have you know half a dozen nieces who are little brown girls growing up in Trump's America and you know including my goddaughter Maya who the main character in bump is named for so, Bump does come from a very personal place for me and a personal experience is something I really want, a specific experience that I wanted to talk about and something I wrote for my nieces and about them, you know, and I wanted them to have that. So, in that instance, I don't feel like it's the same situation with Savage Legion, which is a little more gray area-ish, but when it comes to Bump, that is something very personal, it's very close to me, that I do feel I can speak on authentically, you know? And again, it's up to readers to determine the validity of that. And, the, but all I can do is be honest about where I'm coming from with it, you know? Yeah.
0: No, that's, so. that's great, dude. I didn't know half that stuff. That's really cool.
1: <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you know, it's. I don't know. I went through it's only really recently within the last few years and I, I think I've talked about this a little on the show at a couple of points but I just I was talking to my agent about the stuff I was doing and the stuff that and where my career was going and one of my agent's big points was you know they wanted to see more me in my fiction they wanted to see more personal stuff for me and a lot of the stuff I'm doing lately and the books that have coming out reflect more of that direction that I've been trying to head in so point being it's the first time I've really gotten into this stuff as a as a writer is what mm-hmm. I'm saying yeah so I I hope that thoroughly answers the question. I'm always happy to, to discuss or take questions on this topic and be as transparent and honest as possible as I can. So it's a perfectly fine, valid question to ask. Please feel free to always touch on it with me.
0: And this uh this question was it, it is a hot topic and it was asked very respectfully and I appreciate that. No, um, I do
1: too. I absolutely do too. And I imagine there'll be you know, questions or statements in that vein, especially again when bump comes out, that aren't going to be as polite as that. So I yeah. really do appreciate. Uh, I really appreciate the intention of that and the respectful tone. Thank you very much for affording me that and the opportunity to speak to it.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think th- one thing we're not talking about a lot of is uh, that whole experience of the other, and this is why people got so angry at American Dirt because there had been stories about. Mexicans trying to come to America and had been either rejected or gotten tiny advances when a white woman wrote a fictional, completely fictional and, thing.
1: And heavily erroneous.
0: And heavily erroneous yeah. uh, book it got a ton of money, a ton of press yeah. and, and that, that's, fans,
1: they're sending copies on, you know, free Kindles to celebrities to talk about just like every yeah. publishing, marketing thing you could ever want. They're giving this stupid fucking book. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and that, and that's actually also, uh, cashing in on someone else's pain. I mean, those are, those are intense stories. And this was a very sweet moment. Um, I was doing a live show about, uh, I was doing a, a Crowdcast. And was talking about a book I want to write, uh, which is a gay romance. And um, I am not a gay man. And but I've been reading a lot of uh, gay rom coms, and I love this genre. And I worry it's like, I- I- am I okay to write this? And and uh, two queer people have told me that you don't don't write about. Being gay in America and big coming out stories and stuff like that, you can just write a story about two guys falling in love, and right. you know, I cannot speak to a coming out or a family uh rejecting you or something. I, I can't and I wouldn't. but a love story is is universal. And I'm gonna need sensitivity readers if I do write it. But uh, I, I really appreciate that nuance because I don't think I was considering that at the time that there 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 are nuances. If you try to cash in on somebody else's unique pain based on who they are that's not like you, that's not good. If you want to tell a story about somebody who's not like you, you know, do your research and you know you've made publishing a little bit more inclusive.
1: And I think that's again that's the line we're talking about is it's inclusion versus appropriation, and I yeah. do think there's a very clear, definitive line there, you know. And it's like, and honestly, even coming from the background, I do. If I tried to write American Dirt, like I think that would straight up be appropriation. Yeah. And that's the thing. Bump isn't a story about Mexican immigrants and their journey to America and being that. You know, it's it's a story about. A girl who comes from a Mexican American background and is growing up after generations of integration into America, which is ver- which are very different stories. One I have a lot of experience with; the other I don't, and isn't my, and I don't consider my story to tell. So, yeah. the lines are there, and you just have to see them and, and respect them. And you, you know, you're still going to make mistakes, and you're still going to fuck up, and that's that's part of the process too. But I think the important thing is the awareness of that and 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 being speaking to it directly, and also not getting defensive and shitty like when these conversations come up, like if you're gonna write these stories, you're gonna have to talk about this stuff, and that's and you should have to talk about this stuff and delve into it and think about it. so these are all good things um, so yeah that's that's all that stuff. Uh, oh, when I, do, when I,
0: I do want to add one more thing. When I was talking about making publishing inclusive, that also means buying books by those people who are not like you. That's also part of making publishing more inclusive, because when those books sell, publishers will buy more from more people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was just thinking of, like, um, Mexican Gothic, which is, you know, crushing bestseller list right That's now. That's
0: right. Uh, Sylvia why, Moreno-Garcia's?
1: Yes. yes. And, you know, again, this is, it's just, it's a, it's a horror novel, you know, it's, it's not, it's not about specifically about, you know, immigrant pain or that whole thing that it, when, when publishing allows people to color in that they seem to want them to focus on. And that's a really cool thing that, you know, Now, you know, and Sylvie was telling people, like people told me a Mexican horror novel wouldn't sell. And now here it is crushing the best list. So when that happens, like you said, Mur. You're, you're helping opening doors for more, for more of that, and that's what we need. So go buy Mexican Gothic, and we'll go buy more books like that. Yes. All uh, right, so, so think, Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to do one question, and then we're going to have to call it because time and whatnot. Yeah. So I'll try to pick a good one. We touched on platforms a little earlier, so I'll go with this. Uh, Craig asked, what are the pros and cons of Substack and Medium? To grow an audience and earn money as a writer.
0: Oh gosh, um, I'm going to leave that to you because I know your agent does. Su- actually, so does mine, but I I haven't <laughs> talked to her about it. Have you talked to Dongwan about Substack?
1: I actually use Substack. So oh, okay, can, then you talk. I can speak. I can speak a little loose as well. So yeah, Substack and Medium are specifically mentioned in here. Substack is a service for sending out newsletters regularly. Medium, I don't know as much about. I don't think it's in any way the same as Substack from what I understand, from what I've used it for. It's more of a blogging type platform, right?
0: Yeah, I or think like so, but it, 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 it feels more like a citizen um, magazine or newspaper because the blo- even if people are telling uh, personal stories, they're doing it on a narrative level, not on a blogging level.
1: But it also has that Twitter thing of, like, people can follow your Medium yes. and follow what you're doing. So I always feel very
0: guilty off. when people follow me on Medium.
1: Yeah, I haven't posted on Medium in, in years. Uh, I don't know if that, I ever
0: have. <laughs> I, Sorry, uh, go no, on.
1: That's it, but No, it's fine. But po- point being, that's, that it combines those two things. It, kind of, it combines long-form posting or blogging with sort of that social media aspect of people can follow you and follow your updates, uh, rather than having to go to a website or have you in a blog roll traditional kind of thing. So to me, those are two totally different things. Uh, With Substack, particularly, and when it comes to newsletters, I I see a huge amount of value in building your own direct mailing list. And that, that becomes what that's about. It's like people sign up for your regular updates, you send them to them, you have direct access to an audience uh, to promote your stuff and let them know what's going on and speak to them and develop your brand and develop their brand loyalty and and all that good stuff. And as we move on, I feel like that's a really important thing to do because it doesn't tether you to, say, Twitter or to, to a social media platform. It's something you can do independently. Even though you're using a specific service in this instance Substack to do it, once you have your own mailing list, you can really go anywhere with that. You know, whatever service you're going to use to send out your newsletter, whether it's Substack or MailChimp, you can import lists between newsletter services. The list is yours. It's your thing that you are developing cultivated. It's like your personal Rolodex. And and that nothing can take away from that. If you leave a certain social media platform, if that platform kicks you off, if that platform closes down, if everyone if the audience leaves a platform for another platform, uh, you still have this mailing list and this direct connection to your audience that you can utilize. And as an author, you know, particularly as a genre author, I feel like that's a really important thing to develop and to cultivate and to have, and a very useful thing to have. Uh, with Substack in particular, you can also um, charge people uh, for your for your updates or for your newsletter or for the content that you're putting out. My agent has a newsletter called Publishing is Hard that Mm -hmm. they do every month and they charge, I think, like a dollar a month for it. And they've been very successful with that. You know, not not like blockbuster retirement money successful, but significant income successful. Uh, But in that, but again, you also have to realize, like with anything with monetizing content, a lot of that becomes about the audience you have already. Mm -hmm. And what you bring to it. You know, my agent, when they started this newsletter, was already, you know, fairly well known in the publishing space had a large following on other platforms like Twitter, had an audience they could leverage into this paid newsletter uh, format. I think like with Patreon, and we've talked about that before, I, I personally don't see these kind of spaces as a place to build audiences. Uh, particularly, particularly anything where you're asking an audience for money, right? Because that immediately becomes a barrier. It's like a paywall, you know? It's like you hear people complain about paywalls on newspaper websites. Uh, trying to get new people to come in and immediately pay for your content if mm-hmm. you don't already have a built-in audience, that's a very hard conversion to make. So I don't see those as building new audience tools. I see those as converting or leveraging existing audience tools to start making money off your content. So, if you're going to go pay it on Substack, I feel like you need to be far farther along or I don't know, have something more original to sell them than just here are my opinions, please pay for them. It just depends on who you are and what you do. Uh, but there needs to be an existing audience there, I feel, if you're gonna start monetizing things. Non-monet- non-monetized non content on Substack, though, that's much more the newsletter, building your direct mailing list, building your direct connection to your audience thing, which I think is a good thing to do. I don't know that Medium is as effective or useful in that vein, because again, that's just a platform. Like, if, if Medium goes south, if they close down, if you leave Medium, if the audience, you know, congregates away from medium to like the new version of medium or the new thing people, new thing, someone's open that's like medium that everybody thinks is way cooler and they all go do that, then you're just kind of screwed because you don't have any direct connection to, to your people there. So.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, I'm very pro devel- developing uh, your own mailing list as an author and your own direct connection to to an audience. And Substack is a good way to do that with a non-monetized version of their con- of the content you do there.
0: Cool. Yeah.
1: So, I feel like that was a fairly comprehensive answer. We're pros here. We're doing the thing.
0: Stone cold uh, pros. That's us. Stone cold
1: pros. Uh, yeah. So, we have some more questions. I apologize to people who asked that I didn't get to them, but we will. But we're coming up on the hour here, and I have so many things to go do. There's so much work. Me too, So, dude. crushingly overwhelmed right now. We didn't talk about any of that. We can talk about it next time. We had heavier issues to talk about in this episode, We're covering the heavy issues, people.
0: We are. We are. We're
1: laying in that heavy leather.
0: Okay. It's
1: a metaphor for getting kicked. Gotcha. Because, you know, shoe leather or boot leather.
0: Gotcha. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you now. <laughs> uh, if you want to see uh, my blog and Matt's beautifully written show notes, uh, you can go to merverse.com, and uh, you can subscribe to this podcast all sorts of places Spotify, iTunes Uh iTunes And iTunes Does anybody u- Actually use anything else?
1: I don't know People I should stop know. using Spotify though I'll just say it I mean, we'll th- We should talk about that In a future show I guess I we should Because
0: I don't know right. what you're talking about But Um Oh we'll get to it Mer we'll Okay we'll get, get to, to it. it We'll fucking get to it So Uh Don't go on Spotify then Lots yeah, of other Spotify. places Or you Spotify. can just Use your own RSS reader. So, uh, Twitter, I'm Mighty Murr, twitch.tv slash Mighty Murr. And if you want to support us for awesome content, it is patreon.com slash Mighty Murr.
1: And I am on Twitter at Matt F and Wallace. My recently relaunched, shiny new website, matt-wallace.com. Go there for all your Matt Wallace needs. And as covered earlier, I am still doing the YouTube thing. Uh, My channel is called Angry Rider. And I will try to post more frequent content there. But more importantly than any of that crap, Murr. More importantly than any of that. Also, on my website, you can subscribe subscribe to my Substack newsletter. It's very Mm -hmm. easy to do that. Um, Two weeks ago, Murr, Savage Legion came out. My debut fantasy novel first in the Savage Rebellion series. People are excited, Murr, people are talking I don't know if you've seen the, the buzz
0: I have, I have, the people in the Discord uh, There's a couple of people who've read it twice A couple of people are angry that they're on a waiting list
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's the hot ticket, Murr yeah. dare, dare I say, the hot ticket in town So if you want to get on the train If you want to get on the Savage Legion train Available in hardcover Available in audiobook Very fine audiobook From Audible, Amazon, anywhere you get your books Ebook, all those things Go get Savage Legion. Join in on the conversation. It's what all the kids are talking about.
0: All the kids.
1: All of them. Yeah. Every single kid is talking about
0: <laughs> Savage Legion. All right, dude. I will see you next week. Thanks, thanks everybody, for listening and, and supporting.
1: See you next week, Mer.
0: You can support us at patreon.com slash mightymer. Theme song by Devo Spice, devospice.com.